you're listening to the Mental Health Download from the nonprofit Mental Health Association Oklahoma. I'm Matt Gleason, and I am so excited to have Melissa Bernstein on the podcast today. Melissa is a phenomenal mental health advocate, and she has just released her new book, Lifelines, An Inspirational Journey from Profound Darkness to Radiant Light. Melissa is the co-founder and chief executive officer of the wildly successful toy company, Melissa and Doug, which my own children have enjoyed for many years. But, you know, behind this outward success is the truth that Melissa has rarely divulged, and that is that she has experienced anxiety and depression for most of her life um, and had thoughts of suicide. And so this book is her publicly sharing that truth and how she has found purpose peace and meaning. And it really is a profound book. It's an essential read and tool right now as millions of us are struggling with mental health issues during this pandemic. And uh, another reason that I'm excited to have Melissa on the program is that I'm actually been invited to facilitate an interview with her on Tuesday, March 30th at 7 p.m. Central Time at Magic City Books. We're going to be doing a Zoom and Facebook Live that is free to the public, um, and I hope you all will come. All the details are on Magic City Books social media and their website. Lifelines was published on March 16th and is now available at Magic City Books, and you can get that in person or online at, again, Magic City Books. One of the things that I love about this book, among many, (laughs) is that, you know, Melissa really takes us on her path through depression. You know, it's really filled with prose and gorgeous photography and many of Melissa's verses that express her struggles and breakthroughs. And the website lifelines.com is committed to helping others who are stuck develop a plan for themselves to survive and thrive. And joining me today to interview Melissa is my dear friend and Magic City Books very own Pat Kowitzel. Pat, thank you so much for being here. And I really want you to get us started by telling us what you love about Melissa's book. Yeah. Thank you very much for having me today, Matt. You know, we got we got copies of Melissa's book in recently. It's it's now out. I have a copy and we have copies available for sale at Magic City Books. And the first thing that jumps out at you when you look at this book is just how beautiful it is. It's a beautiful object. And I know that for a lot of people, they like to have the books that matter the most to them in their personal collection. And this is one that I think is going to wind up not being loaned out. It's going to be one that people are going to buy a separate copy to give to their sister, to give to their friend, to give to their neighbor, to give to their child, because it's one that they're going to want to keep on their own shelf. There are a lot of beautiful books that are out there, but this one also has an important message and and things that are going to jump out to readers throughout the entire book. You can open it up to almost any page and get a message that you want or a message that you need to hear. And so it's really wonderful. And thank you, Melissa, for writing it. Oh, thank you for saying that. I create products. I've created close to 10,000 toys in 32 years and everything is a product to me and I want it to be an experience to whomever uses it. So this was combining like my three deepest passions, nature and photography, which is one of my passions, writing verses, which is another lifeline and passion and all my prose, which were my journals for my whole life that really amalgamated into this one product. 
So lifelines.com, our ecosystem is really based on three premises. And the first is, of course, you are not alone, because I think when you are depressed, when you are despairing, you feel utterly alone and that no one will ever really accept you or hear you in your pain. But the other two parts of it are really important too, because I think even if someone feels they're not alone, they're still stuck and they don't know how to emerge from their despair. And that's the other two. The second is that we all truly have the capacity to channel our darkness into light. And really, we want to shine the light on how to do that. When you're an existential nihilist, which is you believe the world has no meaning and we as individuals have no ability to make meaning in a meaningless world, there's no greater despair. And I was able to come out of that and and find the light and find the meaning for myself. So I really want to, I can't carry someone's backpack for them, but I can show them the path that I took. So that's number two. And number three is we all reach this point in life when we can't race outside ourselves any longer for the answer. When we're, we can't keep engaging in the futile race to find sort of that quick fix out there. And we need to stop racing, take a deep breath, ground ourselves in the moment and have the courage to take the journey inward and accept ourselves in totality. And I think that is where I'm finding so many of the people I get letters from. I've gotten 10,000 letters just in the last week. That's how much a crisis we have on our hands. And everyone is basically saying, I've lost hope. I'm stuck. I don't know what to do. And they're facing that crossroads. They're at that crossroads where what they've been doing hasn't worked and what they need to do is going to take a really deep, profound, exhausting journey inward because they're going to have to face it. They're going to have to face themselves. They're going to have to face their traumas. They're going to have to face their stigmatizing feelings and their pain if they want to emerge from their despair. So that journey, the journey I took myself to accept myself in totality is the pinnacle of our ecosystem. And it is the journey that we are offering free um, on the lifelines.com website. So we are saying to anyone who is sort of at that crossroads, you don't even have to necessarily be able to afford a therapist, even though the journey I, I needed to take it with a professional because it was that that dark. But this journey is free and we are offering it on our site. So if you're ready, if you're conscious and self-aware and intentional enough to want to stop racing and take it, it's free for anyone who'd like to. Wow, Melissa, thank you so much for sharing that. My first question is based on the fact that when you were in college, you had a bottle of pills that you had researched and found the exact cocktail that would effectively stop your heart. And you carried those around in your pocket every single day for close to a year. And many days you open it up, look at them and, and have to make that decision to not die by suicide that day. So my question is, if Lifelines was available to you back then, if you know a celebrity of your stature had the courage to write this book and make these resources available, how would that have helped you back when you were in college? 
it would have made a huge difference because I would have, I thought I was utterly and completely alone. And it's funny, the letters I read, we all use the same words. So many of us say we're on an island in the middle of the ocean with no one there, or we say we're from a different planet. It's kind of like the two, and I said both in, in my book itself, in so many of the letters I read say, I'm on an island in the middle of the ocean, or I'm, on, I'm from a different planet. Because we feel no one hears us in our pain and no one understands what we're going through. And I think for me, it was the combination of the isolation and feeling that no one understood me. And I had removed myself from my heart and anything that brought me joy. So when I was in college, I tried to be who I wasn't. I was rejected for that because I wanted to be literally a Barbie and I wasn't never was. I never will be. And I anchored to performance and social perfection. And I left anything. I left all my lifelines, all my creativity. I abandoned when I went to college to try to be perfect academically and socially. And I I failed at both of those. And I had no lifelines to cling on to. That's when I think, I believe I even put a pill in my mouth the first. And I was like, because I know I had nothing to fall back on. Because once I failed in the only things that were in my life, I was utterly worthless and I had nothing that gave my life meaning. So I think I now talk to so many students who are about to enter college and I feel this idea of having a practice when we are susceptible to despair, which honestly, I think all of us are now. And I don't think anyone should assume they won't be in their lives. I feel like from preschool on, we need to develop our toolbox of lifelines. Like it is that that kit that is what is going to keep you safe and sane in this crazy world and this full spectrum of emotion that we all go through. And I never had that. I never, I anchored to performance, which was in my ego and in my head. I never had those lifelines. I mean, I created my whole life, but I never saw it as my salvation. I never saw it as a gift. I never saw it as anything positive. So I think if we could early on really understand for each one of us, what are our lifelines? What are our practice? It would enable and engage in it every single day to become part of our muscle memory. We could then fall back on it at those times when we start to fall, what I call below the line. You didn't see some of your gifts as gifts and you didn't see some of your strengths as strengths because you were anchored to some other thing or or some Mm -hmm. sense of obligation that was out there. And I'd like you to talk a little bit more about that, because I think that that's such an important thing. The external forces sometimes value some very specific things, beauty and intelligence and fame and some of those other things. And sometimes it's hard for us to be able to see our creativity as being important or our loyalty and commitment to others as being important and that there are special gifts that really are what others love about us, but we have a hard time seeing it ourselves. I love that. That is, that is the key to so much. So I am a deep, dark, soulful, introverted, heady creative, and all my creativity is forged out of despair and pain and deep, soulful ruminations and questioning and all kinds of intellectual stuff as well. And those qualities that give me the ability to create from nothing, from the blank canvas of imagination, also give me a very 
odd, eccentric personality. You know, I suffer from ex- overexcitabilities, which are a heightened sensitivity and arousal of my central nervous system, which make me very emotional, very much in my imagination, very intellectual, have a lot of stimuli overload in my senses and things that make me not fit in with normal people. And that made me feel uh, unworthy my whole life. And I wanted to kill, truly kill every one of those things that made me not fit in with the cool, popular, normal people. And I've grown through my own journey inward and really looking at those qualities that I have a blurse. I call it my blurse now that my curse is also my blessing. And my creativity has is also my salvation, but it doesn't come without anything on the other side. We're a paradox and anything that's dark also has its light. And I think the ability to create from nothing is what though all those qualities have given me the permission to do. So I either have to accept them in being able to be a white space creative, or I have to say, I'm not going to accept myself and live a life in, in despair. I, I feel, I feel like I want to speak for all those creatives like myself who feel so alone and stigmatized and that the world will never accept us as people, yet they want what we create. So you can't have both. Like you can't have beautiful art. You can't have beautiful prose. You can't have masterpieces of plays and all this amazing creativity in the world without accepting the people behind it and all their qualities that give birth to that beautiful, brilliant creativity. Okay. So, Melissa, in researching for today, I watched an amazing interview where Doug just showed how much he loves you and how much he supports this mission that you are both on to save lives from suicide. So, Melissa, can you share how important it is for someone to have a support network of people who are there for someone when they are in their darkest hour? Yeah. I. Some of my best questions have been, What would you say to people who are trying to support people who are afflicted to help them? And I think all we've ever wanted is for people to accept us exactly as we are and exactly as what we're feeling at that moment and not want us to get better and not say, are you are you better today? Like, how's it going today? You know, and I, I wrote so many verses about that, like they could never truly see me as the one I truly was open, always hoping I'd get better, though depression never does, you know, and and I would write these verses like just be there with me, like just allow me to feel so. I think I want to say, and we were on a, we had a beautiful workshop yesterday. Oh, it was so nice. And someone said to Doug, actually, because he was interviewing me for something. And they said, I wish my partner could see how, you know, how you're accepting Melissa because my partner doesn't accept me in this. And I think it's, it's tragic because when your part, when anyone doesn't accept how you're feeling, you feel like those feelings are wrong. And when you feel like those feelings are wrong, the shame starts, the denial starts, and the depression starts. Because when you deny and resist what you're feeling, it's a direct channel to despair. 
and, you know, resistance and repression dredge a channel to depression. I wrote when I was like five years old, like I knew that it wasn't going well. And if I continued to deny who I was and everything I felt like there wasn't any choice, I was going to be in a really dark place. And that's why I think so many of us are in a dark place. You know, they all talk, they all say in their letters, I shouldn't feel this way. So many say to me, I'm so blessed like I shouldn't be feeling this way. And there it is right there. I want to say to them, you just, you just said why you're despairing. Look how judgmental you are of yourself and how much shame you feel. If you're judging and shaming yourself, you're going to be depressed. So like, there's no shouldn't you're depressed. It's okay. And in fact, everyone I talk with, I'm like, they, they tell me about their lives that basically everything's been ripped away from them. They have no connections and they have nothing that brings them joy. And I'm like, wait, so you're surprised you're depressed? That's what I say to all of them. I'm like, if you weren't depressed, something would be wrong. Like at least the fact you're depressed means you still have the ability to feel sadness for the fact that these things that brought you joy are no longer there. Like to me, that's a positive. That should be hopeful. And, and I say to them, so now we have to figure out how to bring connection and meaning back into your life. Because without it, I hope you're not expecting you're going to feel joyful. And they're kind of like, well, I don't know. I was like, were you thinking the world was just going to bestow you joy, like from doing just sitting there in your on your couch every day? And they're kind of like, yeah, I was thinking that not going to happen. Like this is about choosing intentionally to live, to choose life, to choose yourself and to choose to make meaning in your life. And that's what I had to do. Like I realized I could stay a lowly victim, blaming others for my plight or start living with intention to make every moment bright. And that's what I did. And unfortunately, it's really hard work. And very uh, many of us are invested in our pain to such an extent because taking responsibility for our lives is terrifying. And if we don't succeed, then it means we are the only ones to blame for not living life wholeheartedly. So, you know, I'm a bit of a I'm an existentialist now. And that that is a great place to be because it means that even though the world may not have meaning and it all may be nothing when I'm gone, I still have the obligation to make meaning for myself in my brief time here. Melissa, I wanted to talk just a little bit about kind of that invisible load that everyone is carrying with them and how we don't know what somebody else is going through and just the kind of a way that we can be kind of treating ourselves better and also just kind of treating the others around us a little bit better. You don't know the kinds of things that are that are burdening other people. And even to learn about the things that burden other people can be difficult because they're not a burden for you. You know, it doesn't give me anxiety to have to worry about grocery shopping, but for somebody else, the idea of having to add grocery shopping on top of work, on top of childcare, on top of caring for aging parents or whatever other things are going on in their life is just one thing too many. And so can you talk a little bit about what that invisible burden is that we all have and, and kind of how to relate and how you help yourself and your family members and your friends with their own individual 
invisible burdens? Yeah, and I, I'm, this may be a different answer than what you're thinking, but the first thing we all need to do is to heal ourselves. Yeah. And I never would have said that 10 years ago because I was a martyr in every sense. I was trying to fix everyone else and carry their backpacks on my shoulders from an empty well. And I realized that I, I couldn't do it. It wasn't, it wasn't sincere because I still had not accepted those qualities in myself. So the first thing we have to do to help anyone else is truly take that journey inward and accept ourselves in our totality, which by the way, is everyone else's totality as well. It's right. that full spectrum. I mean, cause those it's the, the feelings below the line. It's the negative, the negative feelings that we all deny that we feel jealousy. We feel competition. We feel hate. We feel anger. And I've had so many people in our workshops say like, I shouldn't feel that. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to say that. It's like, what, what is going on here? Like, why are we schooled that we can't say how we feel anything that's negative cannot be shown. So once I was able to finally, and it's just recently, accept all those stigmatizing qualities and emotions in myself and accept that they are part of me and every imperfect human, human beings are imperfect by design. And I was like, oh my gosh, because my biggest fallacy was that we were all perfect. And I was the only imperfect one, but had to hide it from the world. Once I was able to do that, I was able to then self-transcend and detach from myself and be able to see others in their pain as well. And that means that I don't come into their lives trying to fix them and, and judging it and thinking I know what they're going through. I used to because I believed I knew it all because I was, I was hiding from myself. But now I don't. Now I just listen to someone tell me their story. And I say, I've experienced feeling similar. I don't say I know what you're going through because I don't. I say, I, I think I can, I think I can relate to that. And I hear them. And, you know, I just, all I can do, I'm not a professional. All I can do is share my story and support them in theirs. And I hope through teaching, telling my own lessons so that I've taught myself that they can understand what it might take for them to find theirs. And I just wrote a verse this morning, actually, to really describe it. And oh gosh, I hope I'm going to remember it. Okay, the, it's the converse of depression isn't everlasting bliss but developing a practice to transcend its emptiness. And it's, it's basically realizing that we're not trying to get to happiness because that is elusive and it's not true. Like life isn't this beautiful, everlasting bliss. It's life. It's a paradox. It's highs and lows and ups and downs. And the minute you have a high, the next moment you might be at a low. And in order to survive here with all the pain that we have seen in the last year and so much probably more to come is developing this practice and accepting it all and knowing that if you do fall below the line, you have these beautiful tools in your toolbox that can just support you. You don't cling to them because that's just an, another elusive sort of hope, but you just know that you have the ability in here to help yourself to heal. And that's pretty much what I do every day is every day bliss. I've taken the journey. Like I'm, I've seen the light, like I'm enlightened, so to speak, 
And is every day beautiful for me? Absolutely not. I have many days where I get up and I'm crying in my sleep. I don't even know why. Like I will wake up some mornings and my pillow is sopping and just tears are streaming down my face. And I'll say, oh gosh, this is going to be a dark one, Melissa. <laughs> like, and I won't even know why, because I'm just that vacillating, deep emotion. And I now know like years ago, if I got up that way, I would have immediately gone into the, oh my gosh, it's here to stay. You're never getting out. You might as well end it now. I mean, I can't go through this again. It was the, right. It was the whole like loop of like, and I go into almost a complete panic attack. Now I take a deep breath and I say, okay, what are you going to do about it, Melissa? You're, you're, you're dark today. And I say, okay, I'm going to open that toolbox of lifelines and I'm going to look in it. I'm going to say, well, first I'm going to write like three verses and I'm going to, and I get kind of excited because I know if I'm having a really dark day, I'm probably going to write like 10 verses in that. So I'm like, I'm going to end this day with something to show for it. And maybe it'll touch someone else. But then I really go to the, the basics. I say, I have to take a walk in nature today because nature teaches me that I can't despair, that I have to just accept and allow. I'm going to, oh, I have certain songs that I can listen to. And no matter how low I am, even if I'm like, I'm not getting out of this low, I'll start to feel my vibrational frequency lift as I listen to them. And my playlist is one of my most treasured possessions. And um, every time I get a new song, I got a new one yesterday. I was like, oh my gosh. It's like, it just, it does something really special. So I'll listen to some music. I'll drink tea. Tea is like one of my lifelines, like the act of making tea and holding the warmth and just putting it like against my chest. Cause I crave that like warmth and I'll play with my pets. I mean, there's so many others. And before I know it, it's the middle of the day and I'm actually, but I'm, I'm actually pretty equanimously in the middle and I I'll smile and I'll say, you did it. You didn't judge it. You didn't berate yourself. You just sort of lifted yourself up by your own bootstraps. And that is really empowering.